Thank you, Travis. I invite you to turn now to Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 2. A couple of changes to our notes this morning. Uh, two sermon points instead of three. Peace between people and peace with God. The text is in your order of worship this morning, but I'm going to begin reading not at verse 14, but verse 13. I want you to hear how verse 14 follows on what Paul says in verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. <clears throat> For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down <clears throat> in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty Father, whose word is a gift of wisdom and insight, we ask that you would give us a spirit now of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of your word and in the knowledge of Christ our Savior. Enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we may know the hope we have in you as our majestic and merciful God. Reveal yourself to us because we can know you only if you give yourself to us to be known. We ask our prayers in Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, I spent a week visiting Israel. And while there, I briefly attended a Christian conference at the King David YMCA in Jerusalem. That is one magnificent YMCA. It's kind of like a Davidic palace. The conference I attended was unique. The conference was hosted for Jewish and Palestinian Christians. I'll keep that picture in mind as we remember that a new war between the state of Israel and some Palestinians erupted just this past week. I entered the auditorium and I saw this broad swath of empty seats from front to back between believing Jews on one side and believing Palestinians on the other. And there was an air of tension in the air 
until a Hebrew brother challenged all of us present to embrace one another with a reconciliation and the love that we have for each other in Jesus. And so at first slowly and then all together, men cross this dividing wall of empty seats and they begin embracing one another with hugs and laughter and conversation. In the Middle East, men kiss one another on the cheek and shake the woman's hand. But it changed, and although I'm neither Hebrew or Palestinian, I joined in the embracing. The brothers were most accepting of this young Westerner. But that experience pictures for me the new day that has come with Jesus Christ's arrival in history. But now, Paul says in verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. We live in a day when Christ gathers together as his one body, people who do not naturally like one another and naturally get along with one another. And why is that? It is because it glorifies God's grace and power. It glorifies God when people who do not like one another, whose histories are marked by hurt and resentment and distrust, are able to lay down their hostilities and embrace one another as brothers and sisters in Christ with the forgiveness which they themselves have received from God at the expense of his son. Forgiveness from God is life-changing. I mean, who are we to hold grudges? Who are we to nurse resentments when God, who could have justly cast us into hell, has instead reconciled us to himself through the sufferings of his son for our sins. I mean, in Christ Jesus, God has brought us near to himself as a new man, Paul says. He means a new race. We are the race of the reconciled. We have peace with God. And we have peace with one another as brothers and sisters in the family of God. Let's consider these two things. First, peace between people. God saves his people and he plants them into a new community. It's the community of those reconciled to God and one another through the costly blood of Christ. Sin divides, Christ reconciles and heals. Now, that much is probably obvious to all of us here today, but what not, may not be as obvious is how the new community God plants us into is made up of people who, in some cases at least, don't naturally get along with one another. I mean, maybe it's because the differences between us are so great we just don't understand each other, or maybe it's because there is a history of hurts between us. 
And that was the case in the Ephesian church. It was a mixed bag, as we say. It was a church made up of believing Jews and believing Gentiles. And that was a volatile mixture because from the Jewish perspective, for thousands of years, there had been only two races of people, the Jews and everyone else. The Jews were those near to God. Near to God at the temple where sacrifices were offered and the Gentiles were those far from God because God had not provided for them a sacrifice. Now Gentiles could have gathered to God by converting, by becoming Jews, by adopting Israel's God as their own and adopting God's people as their own, but otherwise the relationships between these two races fueled by sinful pride and prejudice contributed to long histories of unhappiness and hurt and grievances suffered. However, the prophet Isaiah, whom Paul quotes in verse 17, proclaimed a day when God would announce peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. It would be a day of peace and healing between people who naturally could not get along. But how is it that God would achieve this peace? It was by the genius of the gospel, by granting equal access to the Father in one spirit, to all by the blood of one Redeemer, Jesus. Reconciliation and equal access to God would be granted to all who have received forgiveness from God by faith in one Redeemer's blood. Whether black or white or yellow or brown or red, there would be no black sheep in the family of God. There would be no favored children by God, favored at the expense of all the others. Instead, all would have equal access to the Father's love in the name of Jesus. Oh, my friends, there is such power in the blood of Christ. There is such wonder-working power as we sing in the blood of Christ. These verses show that the blood of Christ both destroys and it creates. It destroys and creates. The blood of Christ has destroyed old enmities. Paul says in verse 14 that Christ himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility probably in the back of Paul's mind at this point is the literal dividing wall that separated the court of the Gentiles from the inner courts of the Jews at the Jerusalem temple. There were the courts for those who were near and there was the court for those who were far away. And on that dividing wall, a sign hung proclaiming whoever is arrested will himself be responsible for his death, which will follow. And with such a, a tradition of enmity between Jew and Gentile, how does Christ achieve peace? Strangely, perhaps, verse 15, Paul says, it is by abolishing, isn't that interesting, abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Strangely, Christ came to abolish the very law and ordinances that God had put in place for the Jews. 
There's a lot in that little statement, but the gist of it is this. When Christ offered himself on the cross, he made irrelevant for religious purposes all the ceremonies and ordinances that had separated the Jews from the Gentiles for hundreds and hundreds of years. It was a grand turning point in history. The religious ceremonies, the ordinances that God had uniquely given to the Jews had been intended to serve as shadows of Christ. As a shadow points to the reality, so the ceremonies and ordinances God had given had foreshadowed Christ. Their intent had been to prepare Israel for the coming Messiah whom John the Baptist identified as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Paul's words to the Colossians, the Old Testament ordinances had been, quote, a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so with the arrival of the substance, namely Jesus Christ, and with the shedding of his atoning blood, the barrier of the ceremonial law and the ordinances that had kept the races apart and become a basis for long-held hostilities had been abolished. The shadows had given way to the substance. It was a new day. Now what does this mean? It means that despite the differences I may have with another brother or sister, despite the differences, and they can be big at times, can't they? But despite those differences, I must fundamentally see them as dearly loved by God and reconciled to him by the blood of his precious son, even as I am. And as I see that, it changes everything. Because you see, nothing makes me more conciliatory toward that brother and sister and more willing to work through our differences than knowing that they are cherished by the Father and they are redeemed and they are forgiven through the precious blood of Christ just as I am. I am not favored more highly by God than they. And the blood has created a new humanity. Christ's blood doesn't simply destroy old enmities. It also creates a new humanity. Jews and Gentiles were alienated from each other, but once this divisive ceremonial law had been fulfilled by Christ, once it had been abolished, there was nothing to keep the two apart any longer. Instead, Christ brought about a new creation. He created in himself one new man and a race in place of the two, thus making peace. Our new unity within this new humanity does more than bridge the Jew-Gentile divide. It also means that all believers are loved by the Father and all believers have access to Him regardless of sexual and social distinctions. In Paul's words to the Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Oh, God's people are such an interesting group. A church hosting a missions conference that I read about showed 
a video of a ministry that that particular church supported that was in Hungary that is led by a Korean who was commissioned to his work by Presbyterians in Romania. I mean, that's the new humanity at work. It's mind-boggling. But on a very practical level, our shared humanity in Christ helps us deal with old enmities as we remember our common corruption and sin and our common reconciliation to the Father by Christ's blood. George. George is a French-speaking citizen of the Republic of Congo in Western Africa that I heard about. George grew up when his country had been the Marxist-Leninist People's Republic, and at that time, young people were heavily indoctrinated in ideology against the church. And George himself had been taken to Russia where he had received special training. Then he was brought back to his homeland. And George was given authority to impose Marxism on his fellow citizens using whatever means he thought necessary. And George went to war with the church. George would arrest church pastors and he would issue an ultimatum. Either swear your first allegiance to the state or suffer the consequences. George said, I tortured and executed a number of pastors. One pastor in particular had been a thorn in George's flesh. The man expressed only love for George, for all of George's hatred toward him. The pastor told George, that he loved him and that he prayed for him. Eventually, when George could bear that kind of talk no longer, he had the man taken out and shot. But the memory of that man's love remained. Over the years, George had dreams. They'd seemed like nightmares at the time because in his dreams, he would see that man's face and he would hear those man's words of promise to pray for him. Well, nations come and go, don't they? And eventually civil war erupted in the Congo and it toppled the Marxist regime George had helped lead. Freedom of religion was practiced once again. It was a new day when those far from God could draw near as the gospel was proclaimed. And Christians invited George to draw near to God by faith in the blood. But George rejected it. His crimes were too great. He was beyond the hope of God's forgiveness. But eventually God opened George's ears to hear Jesus calling him in the gospel to be reconciled to God through faith in his redeeming blood, and George believed the good news. In Christ, God made George a member of the new humanity who wanted to help destroy old enmities. So George hosted a banquet 
And to that banquet he invited as his guests family members and friends of pastors whom he had arrested and in some cases tortured and killed. And he told those present that God had forgiven him and then he humbly asked them to forgive him too. It was a very emotional get-together. What a strange group Christ's new humanity is, my friends. Composed of those who at times have hurt one another and tortured one another and murdered one another. It is a union of sinners, now children of God, through the sacrifice of Christ's blood. Oh, my friends, let us forgive and forbear with one another in Christ. May God humble us with the knowledge of our common corruption and sin, and may God make us grateful because of our common adoption by God in Christ. Peace between people, and then peace with God. Paul says that Christ himself is our peace because he has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. Certainly, there had been hostility between the Jew and the Gentile, but more basic than that had been the hostility between God and man. It wasn't simply that our attitude toward him had been one of rebellion. It was also that God's wrath had been upon us for our sin. Only in Christ could this breach of hostility between a holy God and sinful man be healed and, and reconciliation enjoyed. Only in Christ do we know the love of God poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Only in Christ are we able to rejoice in and love a holy God who remains a consuming fire. How do we enjoy peace with this kind of God? By the abolishment of God's commandments. Again, that may sound strange until we take Paul's words in verse 15 seriously. In Christ, the law of commandments has in some sense been abolished. Yes, as we've said in Christ, all the ordinances God uniquely gave the Jews as shadows which pointed to Christ have been abolished. Christ fulfilled all the types, all the shadows in the law of Moses that pointed to him. But you see, in that addition, it is also probable that Paul is saying not just that the ceremonial law was abolished, but also that the moral law, the Ten Commandments, in some sense has been abolished by Christ. Now we have to be careful. Jesus has certainly not abolished the Ten Commandments as our rule of behavior. The Ten Commandments remain as the rule for our lives. They direct us in the paths of righteousness. The moral law of God is all the more appropriate, isn't it, for those who are being transformed into the likeness of Christ by the Holy Spirit. Jesus did not abolish the law as a rule of righteousness, but my friends, he did forever abolish it as a way of salvation. 
You see, whenever keeping the moral law is viewed as the way of our acceptance by God, it is always destructive, not only for our peace with God, but also for our peace with one another as we proudly carp against and accuse one another in pharisaical fashion. My friends, we cannot obey God's law no matter how hard we try. Therefore, it separates us from God. And from one another. But Jesus himself perfectly obeyed the law in our stead. He perfectly obeyed the law in his life as our representative. He kept God's law for us as our representative. And then in his death, he bore the consequences of our disobedience. The power of God's law to accuse us, the power of God's law to condemn us any longer has been abolished by Christ. He satisfied the requirements of God's law for us who believe. How do we know peace with God? By the abolishment of God's commandments and second, by the breaking down of Christ's flesh. The dividing wall of hostility has been broken down, Paul says, in Christ's flesh. And that too is good news for us. The flesh of Jesus Christ was broken on the cross to reconcile God's new race to him. A crown of thorns was pressed down on his head. The bony scourge tore his back. His hands and his feet were pierced by the nails which fixed him to that cross. The soldiers in the crowd mocked the crucified Lord without any mercy whatsoever. But in addition to his physical torments, our Lord endured untold spiritual torments because God cast his beloved and righteous son into the torments of hell. And why? It's because God, our judge, the holy God who we have offended, loved us still and took the initiative to reconcile us to himself by the blood of his Son. And so now in Christ Jesus, believing Jew and Gentile share the same court of God. In fact, not only has the dividing wall been broken down, but the great curtain that barred access to the holiest place of all, save for the high priest, once a year has been torn in two. Jesus, our great high priest, has taken away our sins by his death, but more than that, by his resurrection and by his exaltation, he has gone through the heavens, he has secured God's acceptance there, and he has opened the way for us to approach the very throne of God, whoever we are and whatever we have done. We need no longer hide our faces in shame before God. And God need no longer hide his face from us behind a curtain. God receives all who come to him by faith in Christ's blood. All are forgiven. All are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. All are loved as sons and daughters. There are no black sheep in the family of God in Christ. There is no longer those who are near and those who are far away. So my friends, let us forgive and let us bear and let us forbear with one another in genuine love. 
In one of her books, the late Corey Ten Boom described that momentous time when years after her deliverance from the Nazi death camp, she was confronted once again by one of the brutal German guards who had served in that camp where her sister Betsy had died. To the glory of God's grace, that guard had been reconciled to God through faith in Jesus. And so now, after one of Corey's messages about reconciliation with God through Christ, there he was, standing before her, stretching out his arm to take her hand in his. He didn't recognize her, but she recognized him. She'd recognized him as one of the guards who would leer at the women through a window of the room where the women would undress for their showers. Grotesque and painful memories of that man's face flooded her mind. At that moment, she felt absolutely no love toward him. She felt only anger and revulsion. But strangely as God would have it, there the man stood, holding out his hand to her while her arm hung still at her side. What was she to do? God's power is made perfect in weakness because his grace is sufficient. And so, helpless and weak, she quietly cried out to God in her heart. And as she did, she felt God's power raise her arm. And she took her brother's hand in her own with heartfelt love and forgiveness. You know, what is it that empowered Corey's love and forgiveness? It was the gospel. It was the gospel that she believed in. The Son of God came down from heaven and drew both of them near by his blood and righteousness. Our common reconciliation to God at the cost of his Son enables us to put away hatred and hurts and hostilities and forgive one another just as God and our Savior has forgiven us. We offer to others the forgiveness that we have from God by the costly blood of His Son. Praise be to God for His grace to sinners. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we, we thank you that you have accomplished peace with those that you were hostile to, for those who were under your wrath. You've accomplished peace between us and you by sending your Son into this world to be our representative and to obey your law perfectly in our place.
and then to die for our disobedience in our place. Almighty God, you are a holy God. You are a consuming fire, and yet we can draw near to you and we can love you without fear because Jesus has brought us to you. We are accepted in our Savior by you. Such a costly forgiveness, such a costly acceptance. Father, remind us of our high privilege. Remind us of this privilege of drawing near to you now as our Father. But help us to remember our responsibility. And that is to extend the love and the forgiveness of Christ to others, which we ourselves have received from you. Lord, help us to be bearers of peace in this dark and troubled world. We ask in Jesus' name.